from Griffith University. I'm Nance Haxton, and these are Remarkable Tales. Griffith University aviation graduate and QantasLink pilot Cameron Stewart, the freedom and logistics of flying are his constant companion and passion. The first officer for QantasLink has found his skills are still in demand despite the fallout from coronavirus and he is optimistic the aviation industry will emerge from this crisis stronger than it was before. Cameron graduated in the top 5% of Griffith University students, receiving an Academic Excellence Award. He was innovative in his quest to become a QantasLink pilot, becoming a qualified flight instructor to ensure that he could get the flying hours he needed to fulfil his dream of flying, whilst also satisfying his passion for teaching and learning. Cameron is now looking to further study to enable the next step in his flying career into aviation management. Cameron, welcome to Remarkable Tales. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. This is wonderful to speak to a pilot on Remarkable Tales because Griffith is quite a renowned training place for aviation, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely it is. I came out of Griffith in 2016, I would have graduated. Um, the degree certainly changed a lot since I was there, which speaks to the fluidity of aviation itself and the university has sort of been able to cater to that changed over the years and I'm even still involved with the university now as an aviation sessional. I can see how much it has changed over that time. And that's quite an achievement really, isn't it? Because it's not easy for universities to pivot and really keep up with a fast-changing industry. No, exactly right. And the aviation industry is so dynamic from its legislature to the travelling demand of the, the public and everything in between, be it training requirements and improvements in aircraft efficiency, noise reduction and everything. And the university has just sort of followed suit and tailored the program to, to benefit the students in an ever-changing industry, so it's great. And particularly at the moment, I mean, here we are at the at a cafe up on Malcrabat Lookout where normally we'd be, you know, we, we can see the airport in the distance, they'd be coming all around us, but it's not really the case right now, is it? Absolutely not. No, where we're situated at the moment is actually under the flight path more or less and we'd expect to see aircraft passing every 60 to 90 seconds at least with departures at the other end of the, the aerodrome and I don't think we'll probably see one go past today which is quite a, a sad and unusual sort of sight which is just the nature of the times that we're in at the moment. At least this is our first post-coronavirus interview face-to-face <laughs> so thank you for that. I mean hopefully that's a sign that uh, it is changing a little bit that we can meet at a cafe to do this. Yeah, exactly right. Slowly getting back to the new normal, whatever that may be in the future, and, and that goes the same for all industries. You know, I'm sure the cafes have had to change what they do just as much as airlines and, and anybody else in between. And you were saying probably a little old Archerfield Airport would even be a bit busier now than the uh, Brisbane Airport. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, it's <laughs> funny the, the way it all sort of works. It's um, where it all started for, for Brisbane Aviation, more or less, and yeah, Archerfield would be putting in more arrivals and departures at the moment than the international 
International Airport and it comes at a time when we're just about to open a, a new runway interestingly enough as well so yeah humble beginnings I guess. It really does show how quickly the landscape has changed isn't it because that new runway was going to be and, and will be quite a game changer but just perhaps in delayed. Yeah that's right they'll, they'll find uses for it and, and moving forward the demand will be there it's just um, you know how quickly it will return and, and in what sort of fashion it will return but no doubt it'll get there. So tell us a bit about how you started your dream as a as a pilot. I think there's so many little kids who dream of being a pilot but not that many perhaps get there in the end. So what was what was the story? For me I never sort of had that light bulb moment where I looked up in the sky and decided I, I want to be a pilot. I'd always sort of turn my head up at aircraft as they, they fly over and look at them but it probably all started working in a coffee shop as a 15-year-old uh, boy. There was a, a regular that used to come in and through the six degrees of separation, she knew a pilot that lived around the corner from me who had his own aircraft and I became what he called uh, an apprentice pilot, which involved sweeping hangar floors and making cups of tea and coffee and handing him a spanner when required and I'd probably give him a hammer or a screwdriver when he asked for a spanner, but that was all <laughs> a part of the learning process and a bit of character building in the interim. So. Um, that was sort of where it all started and I got a, a real grassroots experience for what light aircraft are like and, and sort of took a bit of a, a different avenue as far as that's concerned, really seeing it from the the wheels up more or less and this is an aircraft that this gentleman had built and yeah, very experienced. How fascinating. Yeah, what a way to start off, really. It's, it certainly was, and he turned into be a, a mentor of mine, and we, we still keep in touch, and he was a retired 747 pilot for Air New Zealand. So, um, yeah, certainly a wealth of experience, which he sort of passed on to me, which which sparked the interest, and so then I, I looked into different avenues through you know tertiary qualifications versus private flying and, and learning to fly through a, a school, and the landscape for that has changed a lot since I started almost. 10 years ago now and from there I went to Griffith University and did the aviation undergraduate degree and yeah here I am now after to flight school and numerous jobs flying lighter aircraft now into um, the regional sector on the Q400 where I'm a first officer. And would you recommend that kind of grassroots approach for other people who are considering being a pilot to really get a, a view of how it works in a practical sense as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's certainly not possible for, for everyone to go through that way. I was fortunate. So, yeah, if you, you certainly can just go down to the, the air club and, and have a chat to, to someone there. You never know where it may, may, may lead. And what I've found about most people in, in aviation, particularly that grassroots aviation, is they're so passionate and willing to, to pass on that sort of knowledge and experience to people that are they're eager and willing to, to learn. So um, I certainly would yeah, suggest that. You'd have to be to be your own plane, I would have thought. Yeah, exactly right, yeah. <laughs> a bit of patience involved as well, dare <laughs> I right. say. And from there, so going to university, it sounds like there's quite a bit of practical training as well. Do they work alongside each other or can you walk us through that process a bit? It purely depends on the, the academic institution. Obviously, mm. to become a pilot, you need the physical tangible license qualifications, be it a, a private or a commercial license, a multi-engine license um, or instrument rating. And so as a result of that, different universities build in different course profiles to, to best suit that. For me, the way it worked, I um, did three years at university where we learnt different skills that are not necessarily related to the tangible 
flight qualifications, aviation leadership, economics in aviation and, and different operational sort of considerations through the various subjects that the university offered and then from there you would go back to basically start day one in an aircraft and the respective theory associated to aerodynamics, flight controls, principles of flight, whatever you'd like to call it and um, the university qualifications touch and they allow you to build back on that once you, you start the the syllabus as dictated by Civil Aviation Australia. It sounds like it's quite an unusual combination, isn't it, of getting a licence, as if you would even for car driving, or it's, it's driving a vehicle in, in, in a sense, but also that really highly technical scientific aspect as well. Absolutely. Mm. It certainly requires a lot of building on you. You learn these basic theories that are true for even a paper aeroplane, and they translate <laughs> to a space shuttle in some instances, and so it's just building and increasing that, that operational complexity versus depth of knowledge to, to effectively apply any principles to fly in the aircraft. So you finished your degree and then you did more of the training you mentioned? Correct, yeah. yeah. So I obtained the, the tangible flight qualifications and then went on and did some further studies privately which would then allow me to eventually obtain a, an airline pilot transport licence. And then from there I, I packed up my bags and went out looking for a job which saw me end up in Port Macquarie, so there's certainly worse places to, to get Job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> New South Wales, mid-north coast there, and I was flying skydiving aircraft there, throwing people out of aeroplanes. Because so. you've got to get uh, your hours up, don't you? Correct, you do, yeah. <laughs> That's one of the, the paths is getting your hours up. So, yeah, it certainly differed my first job to what I do now. <laughs> really too impressive from throwing people out of an aircraft. But, um, yeah, so that started getting my hours up, and that was slow to begin with, to be honest. Just the, the nature of the tourism industry and the, the business down there, it, it meant that there wasn't that many hours for me to obtain. So I then did some further studies and a course to obtain a, a flight instructor's rating. So the flight instructor's rating effectively allowed me to teach people how to fly. I did that for just over 18 months, teaching English second language students, they were airline cadets from China. That brought along its own, own challenges and experiences, teaching somebody who, who barely has a, a grasp of, or a command of the English language, particularly not at a, a fluent level like you and I would just speak now, and then mix that with technical language, slang and jargon to put them in a, an aircraft an operating environment that's not necessarily for sustaining human life. So it's certainly... Um, Challenging. Yeah, it, it has its challenges, absolutely. <laughs> Sounds like that was quite a pivotal turning point for you from there. You enjoyed the teaching? Yeah, I really did. I didn't think that I would enjoy the teaching as much as what I did. It really allowed me to consolidate my knowledge and, and work out the flaws in my knowledge, which are always there. It's just a matter of finding them, and they certainly became apparent teaching students how to fly and yeah it allowed me to, to further consolidate my flying knowledge and, and bring that forward into you know where I might take my career in the future. Paul Macquarie where did you go from there? From Port Macquarie I actually accepted a job with an airline over in Asia and that was all more or less teed up to to work out and then at the 11th hour I got a uh, 
an offer from Qantas Link who I'd previously applied for and was on a, a, a hold list. Well, I had to make a decision effectively between did I want to spend the, the short to medium future of my life in, in Asia or, or in Australia and it was a no-brainer for me there. Um, the lifestyle is certainly more suited to me in Australia and you know, I haven't really looked back from there so I started with Qantas Link nearly two years ago now. What sort of flights do you generally do? So it's really diverse. Out of the Brisbane base in the Q400 aircraft we go as far south as Canberra as far north as Cairns and as far west as Longreach. So our longer sector is just over two hours and then our shorter sector can be as short as 30 minutes on some days so um, you're coming down as soon as you get up more or less so it certainly provides diversity in workload you know some days you're doing longer sectors mixed with shorter sectors so you've really got to be on the ball there and you're operating into aerodromes that are not as well equipped if you consider the comparison between an international airport versus a a regional airport which is not too much of an improvement on a, a country road in some circumstances so it's certainly a a diverse operating environment. I imagine you would have seen some interesting uh, dilemmas perhaps that you've had to get yourself out of at times. Yeah, absolutely. The the industry itself is certainly heavily regulated. The the main stakeholder is obviously the travelling public. So there's so many redundancies and, and safety protocols put into place. Mix that with a, a company like the Qantas Group, where, where safety is is pivotable, and their their history shows that there's certainly not too many situations where you, you have to think outside of the box. And, and all decisions are made with with safety is the the number one priority. You do see lots of different things, but some more more trivial challenges than, than what you would expect. What's it like going out back to Longreach and those big wide skies I imagine would be challenging in some ways? It's certainly a, um, a bit of a different scene at the moment. It's having its own challenges in the current environment just with not so much keeping yourself entertained but we're used to being in such congested airspace with so much going on and, and all different senses being activated whereas now there's sort of insidious risks of, of fatigue with nothing happening if that makes any sense Absolutely, it's, yeah. it's trying to find ways to keep yourself engaged without unnecessarily arousing stress levels or anything like that and mm. making sure that your situational awareness in times where not a lot's going on is is so that you can respond to any situation that you may have are you flying at the moment what well, i mean we've heard a lot about the, the pilots for the, the larger aircraft but what about for yourself at the moment, I'm currently on a rotating stand-down period, which is something that the pilot group has, has come to a, a conclusion that we're going to share the, the stand-down period. Very fortunately mm. for me, there, there is still some flying available through the regional and natural resources sectors. So um, I, I'm one of the lucky pilots in Australia at the moment where it's, it's not so good for the international scene just as a result of legislature and managing the, the current crisis. So um, I, I still am flying at the moment and I'm very fortunate to be doing so. Because I suppose a lot of those mining routes, they're still operating. Correct, they Mm. are. And even speaking about earlier, the diversity of the industry as a whole, I mean, six months ago, we wouldn't have thought that we'd be operating aircraft with only half the capacity. Airline design 
for these aircraft has revolved around getting the most amount of seats per square centimetre, if you like, and really sort of trying to utilise any floor space to, to help the bottom line. And now we're seeing that change with social distancing measures implemented on flights and all the rest. It, it certainly brings about a, a whole different challenge, particularly when it's more or less outside of the operating scope and philosophy of the design of these aircraft. It must be uh, challenging for you as a sessional teacher as well. Where do I start? There's so many so many changes. Are you teaching at the moment? Exactly right, yeah. Mm. I'm at the moment doing some marking and it's, it's good because it, as I was saying earlier, the, the same principles are, are more or less applied um, from a grassroots level through to an airline transport level and just the complexity changes and it's been refreshing to, to go back and, and be involved in, in marking and teaching for the, the light aircraft processes which I can then reconfirm and consolidate my knowledge and go oh that that is how that works and and all the rest so it's yeah it's provided a a bit of entertainment and a a good chance to to reaffirm my knowledge. I always found that with my teaching in the journalism school as well I think you learn as much as you teach quite often by putting yourself up front in front of a group of students. Absolutely yeah (laughs) you'll certainly realise pretty quick smart if you you know what you're talking about so the, the pressure's always on I think. And good that the university brings in people with that practical knowledge such as yourself and that contemporary knowledge as well as the the more academic side. I think Griffith University as a whole is is great for doing that, engaging people from industry and and then allowing that to to go back to the the teaching quality and the student body and and that helps with learning, networking and everything in between, so it's great. And you've got the new building there now too, don't you? Absolutely, I was lucky enough to walk through that building at the end of last year just before its launch and certainly very impressive. Let's revitalise the the school a bit. I think so and with science industries, they're, they're always evolving and this is just going to allow further research and innovation in in fields beyond just aviation but science engineering and architecture and you're thinking of more study after all this and and the the fantastic record that you had from your your study days something that i i'm considering at the moment i I like the idea of always trying to further your your education and never know what sort of opportunities it will, will bring further down the track and meeting new people i'm very passionate about people and it would give me an opportunity to broaden my knowledge and, and meet new people and associate with, with people at hopefully at a higher level of, of, of academic thinking at least and yeah I can better myself from there. Looking at a bit of law study perhaps? Perhaps yeah we'll see how we go. I change my mind every every day <laughs> as we often do as to how I could best put my brain to work. This stage is something that interests me. Well it sounds like education has been like a constant in your life that that's important to keep up your learning. Particularly in the industry that I work in it's so safety prone and, and compliance management orientated. So I suppose it'll be interesting in the next few months perhaps as hopefully the tourism industry ramps up again do you hope to become busier or how do you think that this might roll out? It's still very early days and obviously it's going to depend on the, the legislature and, and I think as a country we're doing very well to have managed the situation the way we have. We don't want to be too early but we don't want to also put restrictions on economic and social progress at the same time so it's certainly a balancing act which people who are on a higher pay bracket than me are in in charge of sorting out but I would certainly be optimistic that the travelling demand particularly on a domestic market is surely going to increase in the the coming months certainly by the end of the year even with the option of of selected international travel with New Zealand and other parts. Yes the economic bubble we'll see whether how that comes together. Funny as we were talking earlier there's
is the first flight that we've heard a departure oh, out, of, it is, out yeah. of Brisbane off the southern runway. So, um, yeah, and you, you know just from hearing it or yeah, from looking as well. Uh, that's great. So uh, what does the, the future hold for you, do you think, now sitting here and thinking about where you've come from and, and where you might be going? That's a very good question. Obviously, uh, I really do enjoy the flying mm. that I'm doing and I'd certainly, I'm a first officer at the moment and I'd love to, to get my command of the aircraft and become a, an airline captain for Qantas Link. Yeah, that's hopefully within a five-year plan at this stage. We mentioned earlier that I'd be looking to, to go back and do some more study. Mm. What exactly that might be, I, I'm not too sure at this stage, but certainly there'll be, be study on the cards in the, the future and, yeah, just trying to establish a healthy balance between lifestyle and work, keep myself entertained at the same time. So there's still a, a bit of that teenage boy who's just intrigued with how the, the planes work when you, you get in and sit in the cockpit? Absolutely, yeah. They're, they're marvels of engineering and um, it, it, it's amazing to be able to go to work and truly love and engage with awesome technology um, that defies logic in, in many cases. You know, people are still amazed you tell them that you're a pilot oh wow and everyone's always got sort of that aviation question that they're they're dying to ask and in many cases it's a lot simpler and, and pretty disappointing the answer um, you know it's not magic it's physics but um, I don't ever go to work and I'm not entertained and don't enjoy what I'm doing and each day would be different it certainly is as much as it's a repetitive beast in the form of standard operating procedures and checklists you um, just have to look out the window to see that each day is, is sort of different or where you're going or... absolutely yeah. and I'm lucky enough to fly with different crew as well all the time so that means different people interaction and hearing about their life stories and, and what makes them go and get up in the, the morning and I, I really enjoy that side of it as well so just to finish what would be your your favorite part if we can put it that way of, of being a pilot what's the thing that gives you a real buzz I do enjoy the compliance and everything being so heavily regulated I, I really enjoy setting operating parameters and doing things to, to what needs to be a, a great standard. Obviously training and, and company procedures uh, allow that but I really do enjoy how rigorous and thorough it is and at the end it means an ultra safe product and and efficient as well and yes yeah, so I really enjoy that side of it. And it gives you the confidence that yes what you're doing is safe. Oh 100% yeah there's never a doubt in my mind that that's not the case. The industry is always looking to improve so you know it provides challenges in that respect that we're trying different measured things to to achieve better safety outcomes, efficiency, performance outcomes you name it. So there's a little blip in the road at the moment or in the runway I should say but the future is looking good for aviation you think? Yeah absolutely it's going to change the landscape in the, the shorter term but aviation's been around for nearly 120 years now and it's dynamic industry it will, will bounce back to the changes as required it'll be slow to begin with but there's no doubt there this has sort of changed the, the landscape and is an unprecedented challenge it's the biggest challenge the industry has ever faced but you know, people like to travel too much and there are too many stakeholders at, at risk for, for that not to happen the world's only getting smaller and air travel allows that to happen so yeah it'll certainly bounce back and as you said it's not magic it's physics thank you so much for joining us on remarkable town thanks for having me nance cheers that was Griffith University aviation graduate and Qantas Link pilot Stuart Cameron speaking to me for this episode of Remarkable Tales from the lookout at Mount Gravatt overlooking the Brisbane Airport.
Remarkable Tales is a podcast production of Griffith University. It's produced by Nance Haxton. That's it for this episode of Remarkable Tales. I'm Nance Haxton. See you next time.